Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be discussing the second in a series of four in a webinar series titled Preparing and Managing for the Calving Season. This topic comes from the Tuesday, January 12th topic that was discussed on the webinar series, which is calving toolbox and record keeping. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Lindsay Wachter-Mead, who's one of the veterinarians at the Great Plains Veterinary Education Center. Thanks for joining me this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me, Aaron. Oh, the focus of the topic that you spoke on was on getting ready for the calving season, some tools you should have in place, and just kind of thinking through some management practices that are good to be prepared for as we enter into the calving season. Walk through with us some of the things that you shared in the webinar series that you think are valuable for producers to be prepared with as they get ready for the calving season. Sure. Um, I know that we we did record those, so most of my slides were just pictures. So if you ever have the opportunity to go look at that, um, that that's helpful to kind of look at a few things that I like. And I also mentioned in there that I don't, I don't get any royalties from anything. So there are a few things, just uh, products that are my favorite. And I just mentioned a few of those just from my practice experience, but also, um, you know, I raise cattle myself. So what I use. The basics is, you know, it really was titled my toolbox and I, I literally have a toolbox. So I do have just a, a little portable plastic toolbox that I carry and I keep it stocked with a few things. The, the main things that are in there would be, you know, any sort of OB sleeves to be able to go in and check those cows. Um, I did mention I, I have some small arms and small hands, so I do use the small size. So they do come in different sizes. So that's a little hint. Um, and then some so, some sort of lube. There's a lot of different options that are out there, but I just use a generic non-spermicidal lube and I just keep it in a little squirt bottle down inside that toolbox. I also had some questions about if I like chains or straps. And, and I think that's kind of a personal preference. I've used both, but my, my personal choice would be to have some, some chains and couple reasons. The first one would be because they can clean easier, I think, than a strap. And also because I can get it in a half hitch picture. And I, I put a slide on that webinar to kind of talk about how to get that half hitch on those calf feet. That's really important when you're going to pull and extract on it because it kind of distributes the amount of force across the foot. So that was an important tool. And, and then handles, if you don't have um, OB handles, those are a nice little thing to have to be able to to put a little bit of extra force because when you are trying to get that baby out of there, um, you don't necessarily need a calf jack. You, we, we were always taught that if you just use the force of two people, um, so if each one of you has a, a handle that puts on that chain and you pull when she pushes and you rest when she rests, you should definitely make some progress. And if not, that baby's probably not coming that way. So that was a little hint. As far as once the calf is out, I definitely have a few towels. I like to do the, the vigorous stimulation. You basically try to act like mom would. So these are all these are all thoughts if you're if you're helping with the calf being born. But you know, rubbing that calf down um, that stimulates the phrenic nerve, which is the nerve that goes into the diaphragm, that muscle that separates the thorax, so the chest from the abdomen, that helps them take a breath. Um, I did put in there. I don't have good data. Um, published literature to, to support it. Um, it is mentioned a few times in a few things that I read, but there's an acupuncture point on the muzzle right in the middle where I use a just a small 22 gauge needle. If you put that in perpendicular right in the tip of that muzzle and you give it a little twist, it's actually a little acupuncture site. 
it does stimulate the central nervous system and it has helped me in practice a few times to get that baby to take a breath. We had a good conversation about colostrum um, and colostrum replacements versus supplements. And even backing up one more from that, I, I do keep a bag of freeze-dried colostrum in my toolbox um, and a whisk to be able to mix it up really well. But the, the best type of colostrum is going to come from mom. And we had a little discussion about colostrum sources and, and which one is best. And, and an older cow is going to have a better source of colostrum than a heifer, or at least more. Um, and one that's in a better body condition score. So, you know, a healthier, older cow does, does create more colostrum for you. So if you, if you had to pull a calf and you've got that cow caught, then you definitely want to take the time to milk her out and get the colostrum from her to give to that calf versus reaching for the bag. Um, it's easier, but it's, it's so much better to come from mom. We did have a little discussion on how much a calf should get, and they have done some research on, you know, a, an easy number, I guess, to remember. And you can kind of think 5% body weight is a nice little tool to remember. So if you, for example, had an 80 pound calf, 5% of that calf's weight would be about four quarts. So um, that's how much colostrum that baby needs to get. And, and it doesn't, you know, I do recognize that's a big amount to try and get in at one time, um, but timing is important. So you can kind of break that up maybe over the first six hours of life to get that into the calf. And it is, it is nice to know that if you, if you have a replacer, I guess backing up, I didn't mention about the difference between replacers and supplements. The, the main difference is how much IgG is in those products. And IgG is the antibody that comes from mom. So remember that baby is born completely blank slate and she needs to get everything that she can from mom to be able to fight off infections and survive. And research has shown that greater than 100 grams of IgG is what's needed. And more recent research has actually shown that up to 150 to 200 grams, so a little bit more than what we previously thought, is best to prevent that failure passive transfer, which basically just means that calf doesn't get the immunity that it needs to survive, and then it's more susceptible to infections and death. So backing up to the four quarts, that's a nice little way to remember because a nice, healthy cow... Um, in a good body condition score and a great vaccine schedule, usually will have greater than 50 grams in, in one quart, so, or one liter. So if she gets four quarts and you have a, a really high quality colostrum, you should be getting approximately 200 grams of that IgG, which is going to be the gold standard to be able to support that calf in life. So if you have a heifer and you're only milking out, say, one quart of colostrum, it's not inappropriate to reach for um, a bag of replacement or even supplement if you have a couple to mix it with that colostrum and then you can give that to the calf to make sure it gets enough. But it's all kind of based on the situation that you're in and just making sure that you're reading the bag, um, read the labels because there's a lot of different products that are out there. Um, I would recommend that you get a product that has a freeze-dried um, bovine source for, for the antibodies. So they can sometimes get them from different sources, make sure that it's a milk source, just making sure that you're mixing it correctly. So that was the colostrum discussion. And then getting it into the calf is also something that you need to think about. Inside my toolbox, I, I do have a clean calf fluid feeder. So those can be a little intimidating, but if you have questions, definitely ask your veterinarian on how to do it. Um, we had a little discussion on the correct way to get a calf tube feeder in. And if you don't know, uh, you know, it, 
if you kind of feel your own throat, um, you can feel that hard, the trachea, that, that's where cartilage is and, and those rings. So it's hard and it's solid and you can't feel the esophagus. So you only feel one tube in the calf's throat. Once you put that calf tube in, then you'll feel two tubes. And, and that's kind of your landmark to know you're in the right spot. Usually lays about on the left side, but you want to slowly put that in, kind of sitting that calf up, either standing it or making it sternal, which just means it's sitting up on its chest. And you just slowly allow that colostrum to, to go down the throat. And the calf will vocalize and it will move around. It doesn't mean you're in the wrong spot. It just means it's being stimulated by warming it up. Um, but definitely, it is, it's kind of an intimidating feat if you haven't done it before. Um, so, you know, ask your veterinarian for a tutorial. We're happy to help. When you think about giving colostrum, would you like to try to get that calf to nurse from a bottle? Or would you go ahead and just use an esophageal feeder? I know there's some different thoughts on that. Obviously, getting yeah. in the calf is important. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and actually, I did a little bit of research on that to, to try and find a good answer. And I did find um, literature source, and I unfortunately can't cite that exact to a T right now where it came from. But they did do a study on um, the absorption rates of colostrum from tubing versus nursing. You know, the esophageal groove is basically a little, think of it like a valve that kind of shuts down, um, that, that allows milk to bypass the rumen and go right into the abomasum, which is the main stomach. Um, and that's where you, that's where you want that colostrum to go because then it doesn't have to worry about sitting in the room and, and it can actually go into the stomach and get into the gut where it will absorb. That's the main place for it to be. But that study showed that that nursing or that suckling reflex, even though if you are tubing it, you may get some of that colostrum to sit in the room and even if it's a delayed response, it still gets to the intestines um, within the time frame. So I, I, you know, I don't want to quote it exactly, but I think it was within a four hours that we weren't having a lot of delay. So either way was, is fine, I guess, in my opinion. I know that if you, if you pulled a calf and, um, it, you know, the vigor maybe isn't there, any time you have a dystocia or any time that there's an issue where you have to intervene, there is going to be a delayed response. Those calves actually are affected by something called metabolic acidosis, which basically just slows them down. Um, and so they're going to have a harder time to get up to nurse right away. So I would rather that you make sure that you're getting in that colostrum meal to get them going um, than waiting around for them to try and stand up and nurse. Now, ideally, it would be awesome if they do get up and nurse on their own. And if you're not having to pull that calf, I do not recommend, you know, going out and stealing the calf and trying to tube it to get it to go. I would much rather that she nurses from mom. Um, so if you're in a situation where you did pull that calf and you need a little help, it's, it is fine to use the tuber. Tell us more about some of the tools you have in your toolbox and how you utilize those. Yeah, so after we talk about the colostrum, um, you know, simple things that I guess probably everybody has uh, would be a thermometer. I definitely make sure you have a working digital thermometer in there to check that baby's temperature. I would also, you know, I have simple things like needles and syringes. Um, everybody has their own preference. I like to use 18 gauge, uh, five eighths or three quarters for the babies. And then usually like a 16 gauge, three quarter to one inch needle for the moms. And some disposable syringes, um, usually six and 12 cc syringes are enough to get by with what you need. Um, and then tags and taggers, um, things like that. And, I, and a record book, um, you know, something to record down the, the birthday, basically, and the identification of the calf. But I did kind of mention, you know, things that I guess are outside of my toolbox that I use quite a bit. 
uh, like a stainless steel bucket or something that I can definitely keep clean. I like my stainless steel bucket because I, I usually clean that up really well when I'm using disinfectant. So that's another thing that's in there that I didn't mention, but having a squirt bottle of some sort of disinfectant to be able to to clean the area. So the backside of that cow, you don't want to track any manure into the birth canal. I use, it's called chlorhexidine Novasan solution, but you don't have to be that fancy. Um, even just a squirt bottle of dish soap and diluting that into some warm water in my stainless steel bucket. Uh, you know, I use that to clean the back end of the cow before I ever even introduce my arm into the birth canal. That's really important. And I also put my chains in that so that they're nice and warm and ready to go. And then I just mentioned a few fun things. Um, I, I really like having a hands-free light source. So um, I have a, a headlamp that I put on. That, that's just a nice little thing to have in there when you're in a dark space and you need to see better. And utter techs, they're just a waterproof bibs. They're nice to have on hand. They keep me uh, dry, obviously, when it's freezing outside. So I use those all the time. And a calf jack, um, you know, a calf jack is not a bad thing, but you need to make sure that you know. Well, first, you need to make sure that it's clean from last year and that you stored it properly. It's not covered in dirt and that everything is working properly. But you need to know when it's okay to use it. I know that Dr. Funk is going to talk next week about some calving um, when to call the vet and some dystocia management. So that would be a good, a good source to go on. But, you know, just a, a quick little soapbox that you, you should only pull a calf first if you're comfortable with it. But secondly, um, you need to make sure that the normal way that a baby is coming is two feet in the head. Um, so you never want to just try to pull on a calf, just have one foot in a head or two feet and no head. Um, that's definitely something's wrong and, and you're going to cause much more trauma, especially with those calf jacks because they can, they can be deadly. So knowing how to use it and knowing when to stop using it is very important. Again, you can ask your veterinarian on how, on how to use one. That's a good source of a reference. There's a lot of different ones that are out there. And then the last thing that I talked about, um, tools that I really like to have would be warming options. And there's a lot of different options that are on the market for commercial huts. Um, you know, usually those are ones with a nice grate inside of it and you plug it in and there's warm air that circulates through it. Um, that's, that's really nice to have if you have that option. But other things that you've probably all tried, but the floor bed of your truck is a great source. You know, you turn the floor heat on and you, you can put that baby in there and warm them up. Or in a pinch, I have used water tubs. So um, a mineral tub has worked for me before. If you have a warm water source and you're able to put that calf in there, um, obviously you're going to monitor it and you're going to hold its head up. Um, but the warm water around it circulating can help bring that temperature up. Two things to remember in any source of external heat. Um, number one, they can get overheated. So you can't put those calves in those, those calf huts and just walk away. Um, you need to definitely monitor that. That's where your thermometer comes in hand. Most of the time when, when a calf gets up to 99 degrees, that means that they're probably able to maintain temperature on their own. So removing them from the source would be valid at that time. And then the second thing to remember with all of those heat sources is that those can be a major source of infection. Um, you know, it's warm. Uh, sometimes it could be wet. So that's just a breeding ground for bacteria and viruses. So they need to be disinfected after each calf. And that's very important. Anything else you think would be important for producers to know and understand as you think about wrapping this up? Well, I guess when we were talking about the warming, one thing to remember, too, is warming them from the inside and out. So um, a good colostrum meal, like we already discussed, is, is, is 
very important for that baby. So, so start there as long as they have a little bit, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend trying to put colostrum into a calf if they're laying on their side, but if they can sit up a little bit and you can hold them up, start there and then start the warming source. But, but the biggest thing, um, I, I guess I failed to mention too, in my toolbox, the biggest thing is making sure that you have a plan and inside that toolbox, one of the first things you should see is your veterinarian's name and phone number. And, and that's extremely important to create that relationship before, you know, you're, you're out at two in the morning and you need some help. Um, we're we're help, happy to help, but it's great to, to know what you need um, and, and what your operation is and just to have that relationship built up before that comes. So, so I would recommend, you know, stopping into your veterinarian and having a conversation. What do you, like, what do they recommend having in their toolbox? And what's the protocol when you do need help? Um, what's the phone number to call? Um, do they like to have you bring the cows in or are they, do they go out to your place? Those types of things so that you're all on the same page. If there's no shame in having to call somebody for help. And, and that's more important if, you know, if you're not comfortable, that's going to be the first place to go. Uh, and that way we're all going to hopefully have a stress-free and a happy calving season. Well, thanks again for joining me today. Yes, thank you. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.ed website. Again, this is the second in a series of four webinars on preparing and managing for the calving season. And the title of the webinar that Dr. Lindsay Wachter-Mead presented is The Calving Toolbox and Record Keeping.